to Credo with me, Father Andrew Eburn, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. This week we talk about that part of the Creed that describes the Incarnation, the Word became flesh. And these are the words that we proclaim. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven uh, then we have a little direction which says at the words that follow up to and including and became man all bow. And then when we bowed we continue and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. So let's begin by looking at those first words. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven. Well as so often there are various scriptural and indeed gospel sources. So, for example, he came down from heaven is the phrase that Jesus uses to describe himself. More than once, in fact, uh, and once again in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. He says, I have come down from heaven to raise up on the last day those who believe in me. So there we go, Jesus coming down to raise us up, coming down from heaven for our salvation. And Jesus also says in that same chapter of John, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. The living bread come down from heaven, so there's a Eucharistic element in this as well. And here Jesus is drawing a comparison with the manna from heaven, so you may remember the manna from heaven. This is God's gift to the people of Israel wandering in the desert wilderness. Uh, the gift of God that enabled them to survive, that kept them alive. And so in the same way, but even more so, Jesus is the bread from heaven. The real presence of Jesus Christ in the Mass. The bread come down from heaven to save us in the desert wilderness of the secular world. And it's perhaps worth emphasizing this simple point that Jesus comes down from heaven for a reason, in order to save us. So it's not as if this is a whim on God's part, not some divine wheeze he comes up with, but it's something planned and providential. It happens for a reason, and the reason is you and I. And part of the necessity for that reason, part of why Jesus has to come down, is uh, the continual human failure to listen to God. Our historic and continuing ability not to listen to God. You can read the long history of this failure to listen uh, throughout the Bible, but there is a sort of quick summary of it in the Gospels, in the parable of the tenants, where the owner of the vineyard, who is God, sends to the vineyard, which is the house of Israel and specifically the holy city of Jerusalem, uh, sends different emissaries who are in turn ignored, abused or killed. And those are the prophets rejected by Israel. And then finally, of course, the owner says, I will send my son they will respect my son. They will listen to my son. You can almost see God scratching his head, saying, what will it take for them to listen? 
In fact, there is a, a classic illustration or analogy for the incarnation in the story of the farmer who is trying to round up his geese and bring them to safety out of a storm and who says to himself, if only I could become a goose myself, maybe then they would follow me. So there's the incarnation, Jesus taking flesh for our good, just as the farmer imagines becoming a goose uh, for their good. What will it take for them to follow me into safety? And then again, you can see the same idea taught in the Catechism, which says, uh, this is paragraph 459, which says that the word became flesh to be our model of holiness. And it quotes Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. That imitation, the imitation of Christ, the imitatio Christi, is at the heart of the incarnation. The other scriptural analogy which is quite helpful is the story of Jesus' encounter with the rich young man who says, what must I do to have eternal life? Or we might say, using the words of the creed, what must I do for my salvation? And Jesus says, first, if you would enter life, keep the commandments, and then second, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Come, follow me. So there's a process, firstly, keeping the commandment, secondly, giving away yourself, and thirdly, ultimately, following him, the imitatio Christi. But what isn't there, we perhaps might also add, because this is a distinction between Catholicism and, say, uh, evangelical Christianity, what isn't there is Jesus saying, accept me into your heart once and that's it. You're done. You're saved. So it's not an instantaneous fix. Rather, there is a process Keep the commandments, give yourself away, and follow Christ, imitate Christ. And of course, those last two go together, because self-donation, giving yourself away, is what Christ does in the Incarnation. And so to follow Christ, to imitate Christ, is ultimately to give yourself away. Okay, so now at this point in the Creed, we have that little instruction out the words that follow up to and including and became man all bow. And you might be surprised to hear that I do actually want to talk about this little instruction as well, because these words are quite important in themselves. Uh, they indicate our opportunity to reverence and honour the Incarnation. It says this in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, the general instruction of the Roman Missal, which is a really important document, explaining how the Mass is to be celebrated, how we are to act and speak when we are at Mass, uh, a document which you will find at the beginning of any uh, complete Missal. And the general instruction of the Roman Missal says, a bow signifies reverence and honour. And then it goes on to speak of the profound bow, of the profound bow, so bowing from the waist, which we make during the creed at this point, at the words, 
and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. Our opportunity personally to honour and reverence the Incarnation. In fact, not just an opportunity, but the rule of the Church. In fact, if you read the general instruction, and I do recommend if you read the general instruction, you will see that there are other bows, not just this one. So, for example, we should all be bowing our heads, not a profound bow this time, not a bow of the whole body, if you like, but just a bow of the head. We should be bowing our heads, uh, and I quote, when the three divine persons are named together. So that's basically when we say, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Uh, when the three divine persons are named together and at the names of Jesus, of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and of the saint in whose honour Mass is being celebrated. So, Trinity, Jesus, Mary, and the name of the saint, if it's a saint's day, we bow our heads in reverence and honour. And it is, as I say, important that we do this. It is, in fact, a reflection of the Incarnation itself. Uh, Jesus himself took on flesh. Jesus became man, which reflects that we are both spiritual and physical beings. We have souls and we have bodies, both of them, and we worship with both our soul and our body. Our bodies have been given to us, apart from anything else, to give praise to and to reverence and honour God. So it is important that we bow during the creed and that we bow at these other moments during the Mass. One of, I think, the slightly sad phenomenon in modern Catholic life is the decline in this reverence, in this physical, bodily reverence to the Lord. Now, you can say this is part and parcel of modern informality. For example, I've heard this said, oh, we're far more relaxed these days about these things and these rules. Yeah, and that may well be so, but people still express themselves physically. Think about it. People may not shake hands, for example, formally, quite so often as they used to do, but on the other hand, people certainly hug each other in public, or they would do if we were not in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, and it's true, generally speaking, that people hug each other, for example, much more often than they used to do. People high-five, they greet and acknowledge each other physically, uh, perhaps more so in the 21st century than in the 20th or earlier ages. So, what about our physical response to God? What about our physical reverence of God using the bodies we have been given to honour and praise him? So we should all be doing this bowing at the name of Jesus and Mary, of the Trinity and of the saint of the day. Bowing or preferably genuflecting before the Blessed Sacrament, bowing before receiving Holy Communion. And this too, bowing at the proclamation in the Creed of the Incarnation. Okay, so the next words of this article, which are, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. If you read the account of the Annunciation in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, you will see the angel Gabriel who announces to Mary, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the role of the Holy Spirit in the Incarnation, this wonderful image of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, has, uh, once again, all kinds of antecedents, all kinds of foreshadowings, if you like, in sacred scripture. This goes right back to creation itself. If you look at the account of creation in the book of Genesis, uh, as creation is about to happen, what is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is moving over the face of the waters, or hovering over the face of the waters. So this overshadowing of the Holy Spirit is part of the original act of creation, recapitulated in the conception of Jesus Christ within the Virgin Mary. And then again, a little later on in the Old Testament, when God enters into a covenant relationship with the people of Israel and makes his home among them for the first time, how does this happen? Well, it happens in the tent of the tabernacle, the tent where God takes up residence, if you like, among the people of Israel in the wilderness. How do they know he's there? Well, because a cloud overshadows the tent. This is in the book of Numbers, chapter 9, if you want to check it out. And this uh, cloud over the tent, this foreshadows, as I say, the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, the Virgin Mary, who is the new tabernacle of the Lord in the Incarnation. And then just one other instance of this role of the Holy Spirit, it happens in the Mass. It happens, in fact, every time the Mass is celebrated. Every time the Mass is celebrated, there is a moment of consecration when the gifts of bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So if you like the incarnation, Christ taking on flesh, happening all over again, in this moment of consecration, there is the Holy Spirit again. The priest says, uh, make holy these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, uh, the last part of this phrase, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. So finally, just a very brief reflection on the virginity of Mary, and its significance. Now, there are a lot of reasons why the virginity of Mary is important, but fundamentally it is a confirmation of Jesus' divine origins. It confirms the uniqueness of God's paternity, if you like. Jesus does not have any other father apart from God. He has, of course, a saintly foster father in St. Joseph, but his real father is God himself. And indeed, as the angel says to Joseph himself, persuading him not to abandon Mary, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So, denial of the virgin birth is a kind of first step to denying the divinity of Christ. And in fact, that's exactly what happens in the Gospel, 
where those who oppose Jesus and deny his divinity uh, say, and this is John chapter 6, they say, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So denying the virgin birth uh, leads us to denying the divinity of Christ. And then we're left with only three words, uh, perhaps the central words of the creed, the last words of this article, and became man. But I can see uh, this episode has already gone on quite long enough, so we'll return to those central words of the creed in next week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and do join me again next week for the next episode and the next article of the creed. May God bless you all, and may he especially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.